I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of the Lord. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible and Page. I am Paige, your caffeine-imbued host. Give me my caffeine. By the way, I've got chocolate in it. It's kind of a chilly day. So I'm thinking like a cafe mocha is kind of like appropriate. Um, today we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 6. All right, now, when I, again, God comes through. I'm looking, I looked ahead with Leviticus chapter six and says, oh my gosh, they're talking about some of the same things we talked about in the first five chapters, the, the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, blah, blah, blah. All right, I'm not that disrespectful, but you get the point. And I'm thinking, God, we've already talked about this. And as usual, God does not disappoint. Here's Here's how I approach my devotional Bible studies. One of the ways I approach it. Um, you already know about the fact that I like to think with my mouth open. I'll read it and then I'm just going to talk with what comes out of my brain. And it's how I solve problems. It's how I um, work my way through situations is I verbalize it. I'm verbal in that way. Um, but when I'm devotionally, on purpose, I am not doing a deep dive in the original languages and getting into sentence structure and, and all you know all the stuff that I love to do. Trust me, I love to do that stuff because to me, the Bible is a gold mine. And the deeper you dig, the richer the gold gets. I get that. But for me, the devotional approach is to read it. Let it soak in. And then look for that one thing that is going to, uh, that God is wanting to talk to me about. And I am, I feel like I'm under no obligation to learn everything there is to learn about all the information that's presented in chapter six of Leviticus, for instance. But I'm looking for the one thing in the middle of all this that really God needs to talk to me about. And that's what these devotionals are. This is me pointing my attention to the things that God wants to deal with me about. If you get any value out of it, I'm totally fine with that. But again, this is about me and God working our way through things. And so I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to read through the entire chapter, but everything God wanted to tell me is in the first couple verses. I'm going to read through the chapter, hopefully without any commentary, and then go back to the first couple verses and tell you how incredibly powerful those verses are. All right, let's get started. The Lord said to Moses, 
If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to them or the lost property they found and whatever it was they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. Now, this is a continuation of the discussion of the guilt offering, chapter 5, by the way. Um, and as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them before the Lord, and they will be forgiven for any of the things they did that made them guilty. Hmm. The burnt offering. The Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons his command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that's ceremonially clean. The fire in the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Quick thought here. This action was perhaps prescribed as a reminder of God's continual presence. That's the fire. Fire is like a representative of God. And the people's need for continual atonement. A one-off sacrifice will never be enough. The fire that judges or burns the sacrifice never stops. God's judgment of sin is never ending. There won't be a day where God says sin is okay. And his judgment against it, his fire, will consume it. These are the regulations for the grain offering. Aaron's sons are to bring it before the Lord in front of the altar. The priest is to take a handful of the finest flour and some olive oil together with all the incense on the grain offering, and burn the memorial portion on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Aaron and his son shall eat the rest of it, but it is to be eaten without yeast in the sanctuary area. They are to eat it in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. It must not be baked with yeast. I've given it as their share of the food offerings presented to me. Like the sin offerings and the guilt offerings, it is most holy. Any male descendant of Aaron may eat it for all generations to come. It's his perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. Whoever touches them will become holy. The Lord also said to Moses, This is the offering Aaron and his sons are to bring to the Lord on the day he is anointed. A tenth of an ephah, of the finest flour, is a regular grain offering. Half of it in the morning, half in the evening. It must be prepared with oil on a griddle, bring it well mixed, and present the grain offerings broken in pieces as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The son who is to succeed him as anointed, or high priest, shall prepare it. It is the Lord's perpetual share and is to be burned completely. Every grain offering of a priest shall be burned completely. It must not be eaten. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron and his sons, these are the regulations for the sin offering. 
The sin offering is to be slaughtered before the Lord in the place the burnt offering is slaughtered. It is most holy. The priest who offers it shall eat it. It is to be eaten in the sanctuary area in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. Who, whatever touches any of the flesh will become holy. And if any of the blood is spattered on a garment, you must wash it in the sanctuary area. The clay pot the meat is cooked in must be broken. But if it's cooked in a bronze pot, the pot is to be scoured and rinsed with water. Any male in a priest's family may eat it. It is most holy. But any sin offering whose blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place must not be eaten. It must be burned up. All right. Just a quick thought. The difference between chapter 6, chapter 5, is that chapter 6 is is giving instructions to the priests. Chapter 5, you know, the previous offerings, that was dealing with uh, the laity, what they were required in their relationship to the sacrifice. Chapter 6 is telling the priesthood how they're supposed to deal with these sacrifices. Now, the beginning of chapter 6 is a continuation of the discussion of the guilt offering in chapter 5. And here is where God put the brakes on me. The Lord said to Moses, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor. Did you get that? If you, if you, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving their neighbor, hurting their neighbor, stealing from their neighbor, extorting their neighbor, if they lie about something about their neighbor, if they treat their neighbor dishonorably, they are being unfaithful to the Lord. Now, I don't know if I formally uh, considered this, but I somehow never considered lying to my neighbor or just you know doing anything wrong to my neighbor as being unfaithful to God. It's like I, I segregated. I tend to compartmentalize anyway. That's basically how I deal with life. I compartmentalize the daylights out of things. But there's being faithful to God and being faithful and loving to your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. And so there's two, those are two things separate, right? No, they're really not. And this points again to the absolute... This points again to the absolute nature of man that we are going to sin. That's why this ongoing sacrifice thing happens. We are going to sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's who we are. So there's no, I don't look at classification of sin. I don't look at one sin as any worse or any better than any other sin, because that's looking at sin as an act, as a thing you do. But when you realize that sin is our nature, it's who we are, and these acts that we commit are just springing out of that nature. They're expressions of what we are, who we are. So when we treat our neighbor dishonorably, God hates it. And he considers it as being unfaithful to him. Why? Because God is opposed to sin. And when you treat your neighbor dishonorably, you are being unfaithful to God. That is 
the horrific, terrible predicament that Paul talks about in Romans, where he says, there's no one that does good, not even one. We all like sheep have gone astray. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no one who seeks after God. No one. Why? Because that's our nature. And then Paul says, "Who? I know what I should do and I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do. I do that. Who shall save me from this body of death? That's the situation we find ourselves in. And that's what's being talked about here, believe it or not. It's like, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning against their neighbor, you're being unfaithful to God. You can't separate it because sin is not separatable. Separatable? I think I just made up a word. Sin can't be segregated into categories. Sin is who we are. So when, whether it expresses itself as doing, trying to lie to God or to deceive God, like that could be done, or whether it's, it, whether it's presenting itself in lying to your neighbor or stealing from your neighbor, extorting your neighbor, harming your neighbor in any way, shape, or form, regardless of how sin presents itself, it's proof of your unfaithfulness to God. That is the horror of the human condition. And when and the Lord stopped me, smack in my tracks, in verse 2, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor, you can't separate sinning against neighbor and sinning against God. It's sin. And I, I don't think, I think this is what God is showing me about my sin. And this is horrific to even consider, but we need to consider. Who we are propels us to do what we do. We're sinners, what are we gonna do? We're going to sin in any number of different ways. And sin, again, I can't, I can't say this enough. Sin isn't the things we do. It's who we are that presents itself through the things we do. So there is a guilt offering for anyone who is unfaithful to God by hurting their neighbor. Guess what? We are all guilty. We are guilty. We are weighed in the scales, and found wanting. <sighs> Do you understand why we need a Savior? Do you understand why we need a Messiah? It isn't because so God can take care of the bad things we've done. So God can take care of the bad thing that we are. All these sacrifices in the Old Testament, they did not result in eternal atonement. They had to be repeated again and again and again and again and again. And if you were to truly be following after God, you'd be lining up every morning with multiple sacrifices because you're going to sin against God. Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've broken the commandment, thou shalt not kill. If you look at another woman with desire other than your wife. You've committed adultery in your heart. Really? Yeah, really. If 
You covet what your neighbor has, whether or not you take it from him. If you covet it in your heart, you've already stolen it. See how that works? If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about anything, by stealing from your neighbor, hurting your neighbor in any way, shape, or form, you're being unfaithful to God. There's no difference. If we are faithful to God, that will result in our treating our neighbor the way we're supposed to. Sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. He said, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the commandments hang on those. As that rabbi once said, if I am the Lord your God, and we truly have a relationship, you and I, springing out of that relationship, you will not hurt your neighbor. A preacher once said, if I'm really loving God and loving my neighbor, I'm not going to steal my neighbor's cow. What this should do is propel us to our knees. Dear God, I'm hopeless without you. When I was getting my degree in uh, music, uh, music composition, uh, I, started, I started studying the Mass, and I put a couple years into studying the, the Roman Mass. And uh, I know it's Catholic Church now, but back then it was just called the Church. That was all there was. But they designed a service because many of the uh, in the congregation would be illiterate, couldn't read, so they designed a format for a service that would cover four or five areas and which after a period of time, it would be fairly easy to memorize those and they contained the principles of the gospel. It starts off with something called the Kyrie. Now this is the music that they would have, Kyrie. Um, two phrases, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Christo eleison, Christ have mercy. It's a cry of the penitent. And then it's followed after that comes the Gloria, which is the rejoicing of the person who has been forgiven by God. Gloria in excelsis Deo. We sing a, a form of Gloria at Christmas time, right? And then it follows on with the, the Credo, which is the, the tenets, tenets of our faith. I believe in God, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, which is uh, recited and read at the beginning of each one of these podcasts is, is a good example of the credo. It would be written using those words. The point is, is that we are totally, completely depraved. We aren't good people who do some bad things. We're evil people who will always do evil things. It is our nature. This proves it. There's no Delineation between sinning against God and sinning against your family, your fellow man. Sin is sin. It's who we are. It expresses itself in different ways, but at the root of everything is a heart that is deceitfully wicked. That's why we need a Messiah, a one-time sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price. Atonement was purchased for us then. You don't 
have to go to the altar again and again and again and again and bring another sacrifice again and again and again and again. It once for all, for all time. Jesus says that God so loved us that he gave his only son that if we would believe on him, we will not perish but have everlasting life. We won't die. Now, this body will die, and I'll pass through death's curtains one day, but it's just walking a door from this room to that one to be in the presence of God. All that <laughs> comes from verse 2. If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor. Hmm. I'm going to let you soak on that for a bit. There's a lot of stuff in this chapter, but that's... That's where I'm hanging my hat today. So I hope you have a glorious day. Mrs. Page, here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye.